How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, Life's Key 3, where we dive into the three essentials of life that you have to be intentional about using and developing. And the three keys are to learn yourself, to love God, and to live connected. Sounds very easy, but oh my goodness, it is a lifetime of learning and applying these three keys. If you're new around here, this year what we are focusing on is we are walking through significant passages and maybe even entire books of the Bible. And we're applying these to the three keys of life. We've already covered the book of 1 Samuel and the book of Ruth. And we've just started a dive into the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John is not one of these synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all synoptic Gospels. And that just means that those three other accounts of Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection have a similar structure. John writes very differently. And last week, we looked at the fact that John didn't begin with the birth of Jesus, but what he began with was actually the birth of the world when Jesus was very clearly present. Today, we're going to look at the second chapter of the Gospel of John. This chapter has one of the most famous miracles that Jesus did, and it is recorded in the Gospel of John that it was the first of the miracles that he did at Cana in Galilee. And you know where he is? He's not in the synagogue. He's not in the temple. He is not even at a place where there are a lot of sick people. He's at a wedding. He's at a feast. He's at a party. He's at a celebration of life and marriage and love. And while he's there, there is a huge social faux pas. I mean, this was not supposed to happen. The wine runs out. Now, we don't know if this was just poor event planning or if there were more guests that showed up than were anticipated or they were just heavy drinkers that day. We don't know. But this was a major deal. Try to think of the holiday or the celebration that you most um, honor and that you most enjoy. Think of the foods or the drinks or whatever it is that makes that celebration special. And then imagine if there wasn't enough or maybe none at all. What would you do? Now, for me, that might be pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving because my kids and my family know that there better be pumpkin pie and it's got to be just the right time. And if we ran out, well, there'd only be one solution. I'd have to go make more. But wine isn't like that. And we don't know if these were just very poor people who had stretched their budget to the max to be able to just afford the wine that everybody already had consumed or what the deal was. But anyway, the wine runs out and Jesus' mother says to him, hey, they have no wine. Now, we don't really know for certain whether she was saying that to him because she was expecting him to do a miracle 
Remember, he hasn't been performing miracles now for one, two, or three years. He's kind of new on the scene in terms of his uh, messianic ministry in a formal sense. So we don't know whether she was anticipating that he was going to do a miracle or if she just thought he would get together and somehow go secure some more wine. But what does happen is his response, honestly, when you read it, it can sound a little snooty. If we read it in this tone, it can sound pretty condescending. For example, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, if we read it that way, it does sound pretty snarky. But let's think about it in another term. You know, a lot of times in the culture in the United States today, the expression, the word woman is often used in a derogatory um, or condescending way. It's typically not used as a term of endearment. We don't say, hey, woman. It's more woman, but. We don't want to read our culture into the specific words in the scripture. There is nothing about Jesus that would have caused him to have been rude or snarky to his mother. So we need to read that outside of the lens of our own culture. And we need to have that very first word be heard in our minds as an expression of endearment, as kindness, as compassion, with gentleness, and definitely with respect. And then he goes on to say, my hour has not yet come. Now I have to tell you, I don't totally understand the exchange that follows here because Mary just seems like she ignores him. Hmm. As a mom, I can relate to that. If you're a parent, have you ever ignored one of your kids and just kind of went on as if you hadn't heard what they said? Yeah, I've done that a time or two. Well, she goes on and Mary says to the servants, hey, whatever he tells you to do, Go do it. Now, again, we don't know at this point if Mary is expecting a miracle or if she is expecting that Jesus is going to tell the servants where they need to go and buy some wine. Maybe he knows where there's a good deal or there's some nearby. So we're not real clear exactly what Mary's expecting here. But what is certainly not expected by the servants is when he says to them, Go fill those water jars over there with water. There were these empty water jars. They each held about 20 or 30 gallons of water. And we know this because it tells us this here in Scripture. These weren't small little pints. These were huge containers of water. And the reason that they were there is because they would be filled with water, and then that water would be used for some of the purification rites that people needed to engage in. And there are six of them there. So we have anywhere between 120 and 180 gallons of of capacity for this water and what's going to soon become wine. So Jesus says to the servant, hey, go fill those jars with water. Now I'm sure they had no idea what he was planning to do with the water. Again, we have to keep in mind, Jesus hadn't been going around doing all these miracles. No one would have had a logical or rational reason to believe that any miracle was going to show up to take care of this insufficient wine problem. But for some reason, they comply. Now, whether it's because Jesus spoke to them in such a convincing manner they complied, or whether it's because they were servants and they didn't really have any cultural 
uh, right to say no? We don't know. We just know that they complied. And then he tells them this. Draw some out and go and give it to the master of ceremonies. And we don't know whether they were convinced that this was going to turn out well. Did the water turn into wine when they were pouring it in? Did it turn into wine as they were carrying it to the master of the feast? Did it turn into wine when they filled the cup with the first um, sip that they offered to him? We don't know. What we do know here is that both Mary and these servants have been acting in faith with what Jesus had said. So they take it to the master of ceremonies, and he takes a sip of it. And at this point, it must have been wine when they handed it to him, because otherwise he might have just said, why in the world are you handing me a drink of water? This is not what I'm looking for. But he takes a sip of it, and he recognizes this is the best wine we've had all day. Now, this was not how things were supposed to happen. You see, what would happen is at the beginning of the feast, that the very best wine would be served. And then as the feast continued to go on, then the lower grades of wine would be served. And the reason for this is by the time you got around to the final serving, people didn't care so much for what the wine tasted like. Their palates were already influenced by the very good wine that they had already had. Well, it's interesting because it says that the, the master of this feast, the master of ceremonies, if you will, he doesn't even know where this wine comes from. It doesn't seem like he really even asks the servants. It just kind of shows up there. And what he is so focused on is not where the wine came from, but what he is focused on is the fact that this wine that should have been served at the beginning has been served at the end. Now, I don't want to read things into this passage that aren't there. I just want to throw out some ideas for consideration. I think there's a, an appropriateness that as we read Scripture to bring the imaginations that God has given to us, not in the same way that we apply the same value to what we might be able to wonder about as to what Scripture actually says, but still to kind of be able to think about the things that we might be able to draw from Scripture that we can then use to apply in our own lives. It's interesting that this master of ceremonies, he doesn't say to the servants, hey, where did you get this? I want to go say thank you to whoever brought this wine. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go back to the source of the wine. Instead, what he does is he responds by focusing more on social rights and customs and not this a miracle that has taken place. You see, he doesn't say, hey, go back and take me to wherever you got this. No, instead what he does is he goes to the bridegroom, okay? He goes to the groom, okay? This is the guy who's getting married. This is his special day. And the master of ceremonies comes over to him and says, why have you kept this wine until now? You're supposed to serve the good stuff at the beginning. It seems like he's chastising him, like he is taking time out of this groom's very special day to say, you have committed a social faux pas, and I am here to tell you about it. Probably because he, as the master of the feast, he was really looking out for himself. He did not want to be held responsible 
for this social blunder. And so he is thinking about how it might reflect on him not being delighted that they actually have wine to offer to the guests for the rest of the ceremony. What can we take away from this? You know, there are times that we have provisions that show up in our lives where there is a need that we have and it's filled. And we want to look and say, where do we go as a result of that? Do we go back to the source to say thank you? Do we go back to show our appreciation? Or do we just get so focused on how this might have an impact on us socially and what other people might think about us that that is where we turn our focus? Do we care more about gratitude and appreciation and more about serving the people around us? Or do we care more about ourselves and how something might reflect on us? Because this guy certainly looks like that he's not so delighted that the guests are going to be able to have wine throughout the remainder of the feast. He just seems like he's more obsessed and concerned with how it might reflect on him that the best wine didn't get served until the end. And so he, then he goes and he bugs the groom on his special day. And rather than just being happy about it, it's like, oh, now I've got to tell you about something you've done wrong. Boy, that's great. That, wouldn't you love to have that kind of a friend on your wedding day? The other thing that I love about this story is that it gives us an insight into who Jesus was as a person. Yes, he was fully God. He was also fully human. And that is a mystery that we will never be able on this planet to fully grasp. So he was both 100% divine and 100% human all together all at once. But you know what? He's not at this wedding because he has to be there. He's at this wedding because he chooses to be there. He wants to celebrate with these people. And he cares about the needs of the people in just a very practical way. I love the fact that the first of his miracles that are recorded in this gospel don't involve healing someone who has been deaf or blind or cannot walk, someone who had a disease. He doesn't even raise somebody from the dead. No, you know what he does? He meets a very practical need. And a need that really in the whole scheme of life was not an actual absolutely have to make this happen kind of need. I mean, what's the worst thing that would have happened if he hadn't turned the water into wine? Well, maybe everybody just had to drink water for the rest of the feast. Maybe somebody had to run out and try to go find some wine at the last minute and it and came in and it was really, really not good wine. But whatever those other alternatives might have been, Jesus cares about the ordinary circumstance and event and special occasion in the life of this couple and their friends and their families. You know, sometimes we can think that it's only the big things that we do that matter, that it's when we show up for someone when they have received a diagnosis of cancer and we're taking them to their hospital appointments. But, you know, showing up in just ordinary life and being present for and with people has a profound impact. So as we're going to wrap up here today, I want you to take away a couple of things. And one is this. 
as you learn yourself, pay attention that when good things happen in your life to you or to those around you, do you go to the source with an attitude of gratitude and gratefulness and thanksgiving? Or is it possible that sometimes maybe priorities get a little bit mixed up and it becomes more about, oh, how this might reflect on you? Because that happens to all of us, yours truly included. And so this is part of learning ourselves. And it's not about condemnation. It's about saying, oh, there's an area in life that I need to work on, that I need to bring to God to be able to be more conformed into the image of Christ. And the second thing is this. Maybe you're in a season of life that you just feel like you have a heart to be able to do these so-called big things, these big ministries, but you, for whatever reason, it might be health, it might be your season of life, it might be finances, it might be um, geographical location. You are very limited in what you can do. And you just feel like all I can do are these little things. All I'm doing right now is I I made a casserole and I, I took it to somebody who just had a new baby or someone who's going through a hard time. Or I just sat down with, had uh, invited somebody over for lunch because I just know that they're dealing with some grief right now. Make no mistake. Those things are absolutely as much about doing the work of Christ on earth, of doing the work of goodness and the kingdom of God here on earth as all the other miracles that Jesus ever did, this one was just as significant. And the fact that it was the first one, I think, tells us something about what we need to prioritize in our lives and the significance of just the small, ordinary events and celebrations in life and the small ways that we can show up just to help and people to be able to live their best life, whatever that is and what and with whatever it is that they are dealing with. All right, my friend, I want you to remember this. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.